0: Counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. And I'm Adria. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Welcome to our general election special part four, I believe, uh, in the run up to Ireland voting on February 8th. We are bringing you issue focused coverage with emerging political voices and opinions of voters and experts on things that matter to you. This episode a Vision For cities. We're going to be talking about vision for the capital and other cities in Ireland. You know, vision for for Dublin really translates to how our cities should be organised en général. We will be joined by the Labour Party's Rebecca Moynihan, who has been kind of one of the leading voices in terms of what our cities should look like, uh, urban planning, design, how housing should be uh, taken care of in cities and so on. You may notice that I have a cold I have GE 2020 flu, and it's. Co- is, that, is that an official. It's an uh, ofi- official. It's the diagnosis. (laughs) There's just been so uh, so much drama (laughs) that um, it has become airborne, and I have been infected by it. Uh, So you'll forgive my um, weird nasally AA (laughs) roadwatch voice. AA roadwatch. But Jesus Christ, Andrea! (laughs) Campaign news is, is flying. The drama. The drama. The drama. Let's talk about some campaign news. So we're talking about this uh, campaign news vibes before uh, the leader, three-way leader debate. So... you know, forgive us for not including the details of that. The big news, of course, was the Irish Times poll released on Monday night, uh, just showing that Sinn Féin is now the most popular party in Ireland at 25%.
1: It's bananas! Um, How would we have ever thought this would have happened? Well,
0: we actually called it. So
1: <laughs> we did. Sinn Féin didn't, though, or they would have ran more <laughs> con, uh, candidates.
0: Fine Gael fell again, uh, three points at 20%. Fianna Fall. Fell two to twenty three percent. Sinn Fein up four to twenty five. Labour down one to four uh, the Green Party. Our double Labour support at 8%. Um, yeah, so that's where we're at. The surge continues apace. I wrote a piece uh, in The Times this week about how it was my little tribute to um, Christopher Nolan um, how the surge is a surge within a surge. And uh, we're looking at surgeception, and uh, that this is, in fact, Sinn Féin surge is under a larger surge of people looking for radical change. Say surge one more time. Surge, <laughs> uh, which is um, surging towards <laughs> the left. Uh, so, you know, look. This is what's going to happen this weekend, okay? You know, the landscape of Irish politics, and electoral politics, party politics is going to be redefined. Whatever happens,
1: I think it already is. Uh, yeah, uh, the the the, the polls- no matter what happens, correct. The so po- there's been a, a seismic
0: change. Correct, the polls are reflecting uh, changes in Irish society, they're reflecting what people feel, they're reflecting a sentiment uh, they're reflecting loads of things and we are going to be poring over all of this next week uh, when we when we kind of pick over the bones of what happens on Saturday um, but the the landscape of uh, these surge, surges, surge <laughs> uh that have been occurring um, is remarkable, the details of them is remarkable and so that was the Irish Times poll May you know, some people thought, okay, maybe people will get spooked by Sinn Fein, like, that could still well, they happen. Still could. Still happen, absolutely. Yeah. Um but Fine Gael, um I would imagine are are really worried right now because it's it's kind of moved from them um, you know, not doing as well as they did before and then not being in government to you're kind of really now looking at at very prominent people potentially losing their seats we're not going to be making ridiculous predictions uh, with (laughs) regards to who those are we have our opinions on those maybe we will
1: later in the week actually (laughs) Um, in other campaign news Jack Chambers calm down was he ever going to calm down I think it's intrinsic in who he is and what he does that he's always going to talk to women dare I say like that um, and it was very uh, it was absolutely bananas to what like you just wanted to be like dude have a Snickers like <laughs> like are you hungry what's going on you're just <laughs> like what are you doing and like I like Fianna Fáil have kind of had a really good run at things and then they're just floating into the last few days and then Jack Chambers comes on and shows and like all you have seen since then is people going showing the picture of him with the vote no signs and yeah. just really reflecting Fianna Fáil as not that left-wing party which is where they've kind of been moving towards in their vision.
0: In case you missed it Jack Chambers went on Claire Byrne and shouted and yelled at her. Uh, you know, Fianna Fáil pointing and yelling at women since 1937. Um, uh was a crazy <laughs> uh, pff, appearance. Um, and one, you just wonder sometimes, like even cynically and strategically, would you not just go out there and be like super calm and stop like shouting about pornography in your climate
1: policy? Anyway, whatever. Um, he was obsessed with that being in there. He, like, Claire, you just, like, you, you're you know it should be in there it's like oh my god calm down Jack
0: depending on how many people who watch that and depending on how many of those were potentially maybe
1: kind of on the fence going to be voting for Fianna Jack Chambers lost some votes. But you know who did get votes out of that uh, would be Catherine Martin. Mm. She was so good. And obviously, Anna Breen, who's just always good. And I feel like that goes without saying uh, now. But like Catherine Martin really kind of stood up to the plate, I thought. And she had, was set. like, there was a big scrap going on at one stage. And she's like, can we all just calm down and can yeah. we all just ha- focus on positive solution focused policies? People don't want the scraps. They don't care. We, let's just get on with it and get solutions to these issues. Um, and I think she, she was great uh, In other TV
0: appearances that maybe don't matter maybe do Mary Lou was given a grilling by Dobbo he's been giving Brian Dobson has been giving all the party leaders good <laughs> grilling and she seemed quite nervous quite shaky uh, it was probably her worst media appearance so far there haven't been too many there'll mm. be more uh, now that she's been included in the debate by priority um, so one would imagine that she will be on fair unfair warning now for, for the debate Tuesday evening uh,
1: Brexit happened where, it, yeah. where were you when Brexit happened? Like it was the most like innocuous yeah. moment. It was just like nah, and like the scarlation of the of the clock and the interviews with people who were like, yeah, well, we finally got control back. That was that a really bad. I, I should not be doing accents. I <laughs> well, to self accents not for
0: me. I think as well it points to this idea that uh, Brexit was going to be central to the campaign uh, was an absolute. Uh, misnomer on uh behalf what they have been trying to do though uh, over in FGHQ is um, meme <laughs> it's not going well
1: for them um, who is their social media person I am like I know they had your man sing a while ago but like Whoa, whoa, whoa. It is just bananas. Their digital campaigning has been lacking. Uh, they've been lacking in <laughs> the digital. A very, that's a very politically astu- correct way of saying in bits. <laughs> they
0: have been They have been lacking in the digital space. Um, you know, it does seem like, you know, just because, like, just do not. It, do you know what it feels like? I feel like? It feels like they're like hanging around in their gaffes that they own. Uh, <laughs> and, one of them. At nine o'clock. One of the gaffes. The others are, are purely investment uh, properties. And, you know, there's some trash memes coming into the young Finnegale WhatsApp account and they're just lashing them out on Twitter <laughs> for everyone. It's like, stop. What did the basketball one with Micheal Martin even mean? I'm like, you can of abstract memes. You can of memes open to interpretation. The thing about social media campaigning is... It, it's very difficult It has to be the zeitgeist It has to be the zeitgeist It's very difficult to do if you don't have a singular message or a single candidate It's very hard to shape a message around that but if you can't do it really well just don't, don't fucking do it, do it because you will get everybody laughing at you which is what has happened
1: And I feel like they're in the video the recent video that they did with the no 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 when um, and framed it with uh, will we go into government with Sinn Féin and then it was just all the uh, candidates saying no, 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 no and not having and leaving it open to so much uh, uh, like editing by online pranksters like which is against the fair play pledge if parties were doing it that
0: is, themselves yeah. and it's worth pointing out um, Liz Carlin who was on our bonus pod last week at the time of recording Sinn Féin has yet to sign up to the fair play pledge so um, that's just a, a point about digital campaigning <laughs> um, but yes
1: but like even the people like okay. who are not in parties who are just on Twitter like yeah, well, immediately they kind of they went want, away yeah. and like it's like it's like video 101 if you're just going to give the white Template to to the online world to edit like of course like the minute you see it you're like why is it just people saying no why is the question not be like I will not ha- vote go into government with in Féin as opposed to just no it's just. Yeah, it's and just then there Internet
0: was. There was also uh, Pascal Dunhu's soapbox the videos. I mean, <laughs> I actually kind of felt talking
1: to himself. No, but
0: it's Detached. bad. So you start feeling sorry for people. I mean, I understand the sentiment of doing it. I just think it's like Pascal Dunhu is kind of one of the vinegale people that I do think that the electorate kind of feel like he knows what he's talking about, and he is like he knows his numbers and all that kind of stuff now you can disagree with his ideologies and how what he actually decides and to do with the department his membership party yeah you could all that but I think it was a bit silly to to have him do going down a Henry Street Henry Street standing on a crate talking to no one um, but he I kind of look like, like a, one of those like pr- random preachers yeah like, yeah the end is nigh <laughs>
1: but also there was a tweet this morning um of a quote that was like from Fine Gael of being like we are listening and it kind of feels like it's they're like trying to show that they're down with the kids on the Internet, down with the public on their soapboxes and listening um, and down with the public and the sentiment when in fact they're not.
0: Yeah, so the, the key with, with doing this kind of social media campaigning stuff, um, you have to connect, right? And in order to connect, you have to be authentic and you have to be able to read the emotional sentiment. Finnegall have shown, you know, in all seriousness throughout this campaign, that that their messaging and the things they were focusing on were not connecting with people because they were not what people were thinking about. Potentially, because Finnegall is detached, mm. they're not not going to be able to make those kind of inroads um, on social media when that is not kind of the tone or the tenet or or the kind of. The aspect of their campaign that is is working for them when you look the other thing is when you look at what actually works in the social media space in political campaigning and activism in Ireland it is earnest um, you know empathetic uplifting inspiring warm content like that's actually cause what works cause related cause related but also telling personal stories yeah. la 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 that's what works that's not what they're doing negative campaigning online in Ireland does not work. And the fact that people who are are you know suggesting this and being paid to do this in Finnegan that they are actually think that this will connect with people is mad because it does not work and anybody with you know, not even not a cursory maybe like a little bit more sophisticated understanding of political campaigning of how people respond to digital space and social media space mm. in Ireland in that setting not know that is 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 kind of mad because I know it and you know it and loads of people know it um, and we're not being paid to do it for political parties um, but yeah Watch this space <laughs> <laughs> Una and Andreas <laughs> I doubt it I doubt it Yes uh, um, That's pretty much all that happened I mean Facebook That's it <laughs> Facebook and Renewa
1: pff, nobody cares about Renewa really do they, um, they Just got, the response was just like this can't be real it can't be and it just throws up the (coughs) question time and time again. you just it's not even the question you just don't know what other people are seeing online Right so this is about an ad that uh, Renewer won they managed to get around um, Facebook's you you know super
0: duper uh, transparency (laughs) and monitoring things which uh, can be beaten apparently by just
1: using a JPEG instead of actually putting the text in in the ad I actually did see it and as someone who has a- run ads in the past, how did they get the JPEG uploaded with so much text in it?
0: Mm, interesting. I don't know. It calls into question again: tech companies uh, probably aren't the best people to be monitoring themselves. This is why we need electoral commission, as Liz Carlin was calling for in last week's bonus podcast. But today, we're talking about vision for cities. We're talking about vision for urban areas. Why can't we have nice things? does everybody always giving out about Dublin and Cork and Galway and all the rest of it? Um, how can we plan our cities better? Um, and what do people who have kind of been trying to do this think about that and what are their suggestions? We are joined today to talk about this uh, by a general election candidate. Her name is Rebecca Moynihan. Um, she is, she's mem- she's running for the Labour Party. She's running in Dublin, South Central. But her ideas are um, you know are kind of translatable to uh, other cities around Ireland Um, she's a smart person she's been working on a lot of stuff uh, in the council on this Um, and so we're having a chat with her now about Vision for Cities enjoy enjoy Rebecca, how's it going? Grand. I was just
2: saying uh, before I came in, I'm tired and I'm cold and I do anything not to wear jeans, but uh, we're almost at the end. So yeah, no, it's has well. How's it been going for you? Um, It's good. Like it's it, It's just one of those elections I find it really difficult to call uh, because I think there's a real sense of change being in the air, but people aren't landing anywhere. Uh, so a lot of the conversations are kind of in depth on, on, on the doorstep. So I think. People are feeling somewhat okay and settled, but the sense that we should be doing better, and particularly when it comes to housing, we should be doing better. And childcare is a huge issue that's coming up in a way that I've never heard it come up in the doors. So it's it, it's as a political nerd, it's a really difficult one to call because I just can't think how things are landing. And I think you can see that from the polls. Sinn Féin are doing extremely well in the polls. But it, it the, the main thing is we don't want Fianna Fall and Fianna Gael and that's coming up on almost every you know a lot of doors Um, and but just there's no sense of exactly where people are going to land long term you know Mm. I think the vote
1: is very movable, and so yeah it's just it's difficult difficult to call. Do you think that's because it's aspirational anger rather than actual anger at what they don't have per se?
2: I think it's maybe just that the left is more frag- is fragmented, you mm. know. So there's no one place to plop down, um, and there's no party that's perfect or there's no party that's that's giving it all. Sinn Fein are just the largest party that are there outside of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and I think it's just going at uh, t- towards that. But there's still a huge amount of undecideds, even this weekend. Now I think people are beginning to decide a little bit more, but even this weekend, like loads of people were like, you know, they might know where they're going, where they're one, but. They don't know where they're going with their two, three, four, five. And even I'm finding that difficult. Yeah, yeah. You know? We've been
1: talking uh, like about a left coalition a lot today. Do you think if there was one of those, it would make it much easier?
2: Um, like I, I think one of the things that you have across a number of parties and the main issue that I think needs to be addressed is the housing crisis and the sense of public housing being the solution and a house building programme. I think if you can get parties to cooperate on that basis, um, I think that would make a big difference. How that's going to play out in terms of formation of government, I don't know, Mm. because um, there's not enough candidates. Like, you need to get to 80 seats. Um, And even if you had a, a, a... If every single Sinn Féin candidate was elected, um, I still see it would be difficult amongst the makeup of other parties mm. uh, to get getting it to eighty seats. So then the question is how can you do it and how can you influence it from the outside and i think one of the things that we've seen over the last number of years with the referendums but with other stuff and how we work in a local authority is you have parties cooperate when it comes to trying to get stuff done and if we can do that as opposed to an oppositional way of doing it that we do in the doll, um but you can actually have people cooperate and like i know it certainly happens like people like um Jed Nash, Ivana Bacik, um Alice Mary Higgins Lynn Moran in the Senate you know really work really well together like Aeon um, O'Riordan and um, Lynn Rowan on the drugs issue mm. have worked really, really well together. So um, like Jed Nash has led a lot of stuff on like low pay and precarious employment. So like I think we need to be looking at that type of cooperation where we have actually more in common than otherwise. Does it get to 80 seats? Is it the majority of the country? I'm not too sure about that. But I suppose it's like where we can cooperate to try and address it. And one of the things I noticed in the council as well is it's not so much a party difference, but there's a
1: huge generational difference. Um, So if we could get to an issue led and scrap all the party barriers. Not scope no, them, but like but work together. Like we function within issues.
2: parties and we do that for a yeah. reason. And you fit into a party because it, it's the one that addresses, you think addresses um, the majority of what your concerns are. Um, but I do think that we need to cooperate on issue based stuff more because people don't care about that stuff yeah. outside mm. of political parties. And I think the generational thing, I I had felt it before, but I'm almost even more certain of it now after this election in that that, that breakdown um, I, I think this is, there's a huge movement in a younger generation that it hasn't landed anywhere and that party loyalty isn't there in the same way mm-hmm. that it was anymore and how that's going to play out over the next couple of years is going to be really interesting because this is like a first election that is essentially going to settle
0: Ireland the next 50 years I think Wow yeah. Well listen let's talk that's a f- fascinating insight and perspective and one of the things that I think um, a lot of people are interested in uh, when it comes to you as a politician is your work um, and your vision with regards to what cities look like what how they function um, regardless of anybody's party affiliation I think it's fair to say that you've done an, an, you know really decent amount of um, work in the council with regards to that even just in having ideas for cities, We're, this episode is about the vision for cities in Ireland. Um, and ha- one of the 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 kind of sentiments that I feel is kind of been coming into this election as well is that this vision that is kind of unfolding uh, without maybe a say. The, pe- the people don't have a say in it for the cities. We see the gentrification. We see working class communities being marginalized. We hear things like the average uh, salary of a renter in Grand Canal Dock is 127000 We, you know, you turn around a corner in Dublin and there's like a five story luxury student block that, and you don't recognize the street anymore. We know that cities are dynamic, that they change and so on. Um, what is your vision for the capital and for Irish cities more broadly and why can't we have nice things?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice easy like quick question there. (laughs)
2: Yeah, why can't we have nice things and keep them? Um, Like I think you're right that cities are dynamic and, and they change and like I notice a huge amount of change in my area and sometimes it's for the positive and then the net initially it's for the positive and then the next phase of change it, it isn't I think one of the main questions in terms of gentrification is displacement right That that's a really big thing that I notice and, and I notice um coming from Dublin 8 all my life, seeing other people who are from that area not feeling like they belong in in an area that they know really well because it's changing very suddenly. Um, Where are you from, from, by the way? Where did you uh, grow up? Ruben Street, so uh, Rialto Dolphins Barn. So my dad moved there. Sorry, my granddad moved there in the 1950s. He did shop in Dolphins Barn Bridge. And then my mum and dad came home from um, London and then we had one in Rialto as well. So I'm very much from there, of there, remember from a long time. And there's there's two different types of gentrification happening. Gentrification happens um, and then corporate gentrification is happening now, you know, Um, and both of them present challenges. But I think displacement is the biggest thing because of the housing crisis that people can't afford to... Live in areas that they've grown up, and then there are other consequences to that. And the consequences to that are things like um, childcare becomes a much bigger issue because people have had to move away from their parents, and so they don't have that kind of informal childcare that was there. They're very much, you know, alone in the area that that, that they're living. In terms of a city, what we need to have is we need to have balance. You know, I'm not saying no hotels. Right, but I'm saying Contrary everything. Yeah, no more hotels. <laughs> no not more. One, no not more. You. Right. So, so but yeah. it's it, it's no more. Yeah. What 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 you're saying is it needs to be a balance, yeah. and and in that balance, the, 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 priority needs to go towards residential accommodation, mm. and there is no balance in that. Like so, there in the planning applications that we're getting through we're getting student accommodation we've got hotels and then the next phase of it is co-living accommodation what we're not getting is residential accommodation there's been a couple recently um, but it has primarily been for that and you just change the whole area and make up of an area when you know, it's a block of
1: hotels, or it's How a block do you of make student the accommodation. Turn into residential, if that's all that's coming through.
2: Yeah, so I, I think Brenton Howland made a really good point in the debate the other day. We don't have a planning system; we have a permission system. You know, and and that's the thing. Like, we have a Liberties local area plan, and certainly economic regeneration was part of that. But the economic regeneration has to balance and fit in with what's there. You mm. know, like I. My dad was saying recently, like just giving out, was like, sometimes I feel like I'm in the middle of a museum. Like it's a tourist attraction, you know. Everyone like walking around. Tourists are very welcome, you know. Yeah. It's great, but it, but it, it but it's when people can't live in an area.
1: You have to in have tourists coming to something where people want to live. Otherwise, what are they coming to? And culture and artist spaces are absolutely that. And I think that began a good
2: couple of years ago uh, with closer closure of a lot of artist studios. Now, I sometimes think that there's a bit of lip service that's paid to, cultures that you, to culture that, um, like for example, I, I've had a couple of planning applications where you've had co-living and student accommodation and they talk about um, shared workspaces and culture so basically, culture is equated <laughs> to people working in tech on computers,
0: yeah, you know. watching Netflix, yeah,
2: yeah, exactly, and 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 that that's somehow like a you know, a cultural space that's there. That, that that's not true. Mm. So actually, defining that balance as to you know what is a commercial enterprise and, and what is it, what cul- is art? cultural space, what is art? Yeah, I yeah, you know you're all. What is art? What is art? Well, hold on a second. Um, but it's about having those balancing areas and cities, and and we're not the only city having that challenge. Um, but. I, I I, do worry that money will just push everything out of the city further and further and further um, and so one thing that's coming up on the doors again and again people are doing okay but they just get this sense that something isn't right mm. and you know with Flexible work and technology, we probably should be living our lives more. But actually, we're kind of more chained to our desks, chained to our job, always available. And then the
0: pressure on the, on costs in terms of housing and childcare are absolutely huge as well. So these are the quality of life issues that come back with regards to living in cities again and again. One of the things that myself and Andrea talk about a lot is, um, you know, how... How the council, like the the executive, is in charge of the council or whatever, but that the ideologies um, with mm. regards to how cities are planned feel very like icky, kind of feel quite neoliberal or reactive as well. Yeah, or you see like a plan like something um, that di- like that Diageo are doing in Dublin. I'm sure there will be part of the marketing it. effort. Yeah, the, and 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 the, you see kind of different different. Uh, you know digital architecture uh visualizations of a place and just looks like another i f s c or something like that like because Finnegale and maybe like council executives in our different cities don't necessarily see their version of events as ideological, how can we turn? that how can we, like, embed some kind of rule that you can only do a certain amount of your... Starbucks and glass offices, and then the rest is like deadly stuff. That is
1: <laughs> that you think is deadly. That I think is <laughs> <They> good. Think <laughs> good. But, that,
0: but but like for somebody
2: that you might think is deadly, but like let's say you know you're somebody from the liberties who's you know in their seventies. You know you mightn't think that that's deadly. Then you yeah, might, well, you might actually see what you consider good as being quite threatening. Yes, you know, but, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So so there is there is a balance in that. I think the first thing that like. I'd really like to look at the whole... Because Britain has been grappling with this as well in terms of, like, centres of the city and retail spaces and, and, and where you go to, um, of having having a look at the rates legislation, because we can only set, like, percentage and rates. But, you know, is there the ability where you have pop-up shops not to have the same amount of rates or where you have independent businesses as opposed to, you know, your your chains? Oh, I'd love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but, uh, but I, actually, I, I actually think that that is worth it. A, mm. As people are moving online. um, I actually think that um, unique Kind of curated retail will be the future of retail, yeah, yeah. you know, be, because you're you're essentially buying somebody else's eye as opposed to a chain store that you can go onto Zara online and get whatever. With you're an getting.
1: experience within it as well, exactly,
2: yeah. I, exactly, and and the rates legislation is very different because how we set rates doesn't necessarily take into account so many of us being online and, yeah, and, and doing it's literally just up.
1: space rather than what's on offer. Exactly, and who it is. Exactly, and and I
2: think just around to your question in terms of. Uh, planning. I think we need to have coordinated planning with infrastructure more and again that comes back to the planning legislation. First of all it's taken out of local communities and then it's even been taken out of local authorities. Um, I would caution against though um, I remember a couple of years ago um, we had a group of American architects that were over and um, and they were looking at the fruit and veg market and one of the things I used to go to the fruit and veg Mm. market when I was a kid because my dad had a shop and we would drive down like at seven o'clock in the morning or whatever like probably once a week only Um, and we go into the fruit and veg market and we get the fruit and veg for the shop or whatever so I remember it as like a living breathing place that I used to go from the inner city on the other side of the inner city and uh, they were talking about how it would be really nice to have a market like Spanish markets or the market in Lisbon and you have nice cheeses and I was like I was just kind of sitting there a little bit uncomfortable. And I was like, if I'm from the north inner city and I know this place and I've grown up with it, how comfortable will I be if it's all full of fancy cheeses yeah. and people coming in from elsewhere? And actually, that book that you recommended, Gentrification of the Mind, I just think is incredible. I think it's gas, like, to begin with, how it's written. Um, but I actually think that fundamental, important point about it, it it's this middle-class version of culture that can somehow then mm. be, be, be impressed upon it. And I'm noticing that more and more in Dublin. So I, I just would caution against that in terms of this is our version of what we like. Yeah, You Talk, need to have a balance in this
0: city for that. But you also know? it's about, like, what is... Um, this sounds like I'm, co- you know, coming out of a, a marketing speech or something, but it's about what is genuinely authentic from the area. I was in Lisbon last week, and everybody mentions the Lisbon market, the Timeout market. You walk in there. And it's just like, there was an article written a good few years ago about the homogenization of actual space from city to city around the world. And they called it airspace, that every Airbnb or cafe or whatever you walk into, be it in Williamsburg or Kreuzberg or. Could be implanted anywhere. Could be implanted yeah. anywhere. And I walked into that timeout market in Lisbon and it is totally inauthentic to. The city you have you have the the you know stores people's restaurants or whatever it's full of tourists and it just kind of for me ca- like typifies this Instagram tourism that we're seeing around uh, every capital city or every city and Dublin absolutely where you basically people want to go somewhere they have their bucket list or their trip advisor, top ten they go there the only other people there are other tourists who are looking at the same lists you drink your drink that everybody recommends and that's it and, and that has nothing to do really with, with culture, it's to do with attractions but you've been talking about this an awful lot you've, you've done an awful lot on um, cultural space, market space uh, Weaver Park, all this kind of stuff right I want to go into a quick fire round where you give us your turbo 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 <laughs> fascinations about Dublin, market space how can Dublin preserve and facilitate it they just need to be more
2: flexible market spaces as well so it doesn't necessarily have to be like like industrial units in community centres um, but also again we need not to send it out and be like we are going to put out this contract to this big commercial giant to come in and do a time out in Lisbon it needs to be authentic one of the things about the flea was the flea was authentic and if you talk to Sharon about this she loves Flea markets. Yeah. Not craft markets. She mm. says she loves flea markets. And yeah, that like the flea market was of Dublin. And that's what made it so particular and special. One of the most annoying things to me this year is myself and Claire Byrne, who works together an awful lot on this stuff. Had That's almost Green Party Clareburn. Green Party Clareburn. Yes, Byrne. not Jack Chambers' friend Clareburn. Oh Byrne. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, Great Clareburn. Um, but we had almost got a place for Christmas flea, um, and nearly, nearly there. But anyhow, we didn't. And then the next thing was this um, the, the the market that happened in Dublin Castle this traditional Bavarian market which is house market <laughs> and I'm like what Alpine market Alpine market that that was the one my brother lives in Bavaria and uh, I was like we're nowhere near the Alps it's not an Alpine market We had like, what,
1: exactly what we needed Yeah we had
2: exactly what we needed and also they d- a lot of people didn't know the figures like over 70,000 people from the flea mm. whereas when you're let's say I've made this point to you before, I think there's a real gap in terms of civil service from the civil service embargo that people who are making that those decisions are maybe a little bit older and they, they don't attend those events. They mm-hmm. also don't live in the city. Yeah. Right? But it kind of like goes
1: they, back to the if we had an elected council representing our decisions that we would have a reflection of the percentages yeah. of people who live in the city, yeah. of who go out in the city, who experience the facilities that the city is offering rather than yeah. these lot to ideals that yeah. are not being experienced yeah. Alpine Alpine <laughs> it's, like, it's a
2: ridiculous thing in the world like traditional I was like we are not near the Alps like. you've never
1: mentioned that before
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was on the leaflet I was like <laughs> back to the quickfire round yep. licensing laws what would you do
2: Oh, I don't know enough about license and laws. Maybe Andrea can enlighten me a little bit more. Do
0: you you think that? I mean, Ireland, I think, is the. the We should have staggered opening hours. Like like early closing
1: times. We have very difficult issues with making it commercially viable to go clubbing. We have a very. Skewed version of clubbing being culture, but we also don't have a nighttime economy that focuses on other things apart from clubbing and drinking that we should be able to go out at nighttime and yeah, not be treated yeah. like children.
2: And there's there's no reason we shouldn't have staggered opening times, like mm. you know, and that there's different versions. It's not all pubs closing at half eleven and, and half
1: twelve. Um, like and d- once-off applications for late night well openings, etc. Is ridiculous
0: that you have to go to court for? Yeah,
1: course yeah, 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 and spend an awful lot of money. Yeah,
0: yeah. public transport no matter what time you get on the red line Lewis seems to be very busy this is me (laughs) sounding like my mum Um, we've heard loads of different things around you know making public transport free or and then there's also all the stuff happening around Dublin in terms of bus connects and people worried about buses trundling through their streets and trees being chopped and all that kind of stuff how would you make uh, public transport better? I think we need to change how we look at public
2: transport and see it as an essential social service like education like the health service. I, I think that's fundamental. We need to be moving people out of their cars and into shared transport and the only way we can do that is invest in it from taxpayers' money and And I think the proposals at least in a staggered basis of eventually public transport ending up free is the way to go but then I think we're also going to have to we just don't have road space for absolutely everything. We weren't we're not in LA you know we weren't built as a series of motorways. It's a medieval city that then, you know, built out over time we can't fit everything and I think we need to move people to both shared transport, public transport, and then also more sustainable ways that take up less space.
1: And how are we going to make it
2: free if we keep selling it off to private? Well, that's the thing. I think I think we actually things. need to look at public transport as being differently, but look at yeah. it as being an essential social service, you know. So look at it in the same way that we do health. Look at it in the same way that we do education. That actually, the, the, the outcomes of us using public transport are more important than it washing its own face, you know. And, and I think that's, there's been a slow creep of us expecting all of our social services to perform economically when they can't, right?
0: That's why we pay tax. Yeah. Uh, why is it so hard to pedestrianise streets in Dublin? Um, I car park. Yeah, <laughs>
2: and and, and a, a very vocal car lobby as well, and I I think that's really difficult. You you, you don't you shouldn't have pedestrianisation for itself. Um, because we... But we should design streets for people rather than design them for cars, you know? And I am much more in favour of... at the beginning streets like South William Street and the kind of smaller streets that you can actually have a line that people can walk around the inner city or or the the, the city centre or drive around cities should be about people experiencing them and being in them and being together in them as opposed to simply just going through them you know Um, so why is it so hard I think we have to make that mental shift and we have to make that mental shift about how we transport ourselves around the city and that's happening um, but it's not happening quickly enough but we can Ha- like we can we can take heart from some Spanish cities um, uh, I think it was Padron, was it Podrin? um that pedestrian, like, pedestrianised the whole city centre um, and some um, cities in the Netherlands as well who have really put that kind of sustainable transport um, at the forefront of how they s- plan and think about cities
0: Cycling in um, our cities can sometimes be a life and death scenario mm-hmm. um, Why is cycling infrastructure in our cities such a shit show and how would you make it better?
2: because we haven't got the commitment to segregated cycling lanes, and it comes back to that thing about space. You know, we don't have spaces for buses, cars, pedestrians, cyclists, so we have to prioritise. You know, that that is what, what we're going to do. I think it's getting more dangerous. Like, you know, I, I cycle, mostly. Um, and the last two or three years I think it's probably more cars on the road so I think it's getting more dangerous um, I'm reluctant to cycle in the city centre anymore particularly with the Yeah Lewis. I'm the same Yeah, yeah. I, I, I cycle around where I'm going and where I am but but in the city centre like I'll go on a whole little thing now to get home on my bike um, we need to segregated cycle lanes are the best way of doing it and prioritise um, pedestrians and cyclists over cars and car
0: parking Um. Finally, thank you very much for all of that. That's <laughs> excellent, quick fire round uh, completion. Andrea, would you like to la- ask the final question?
1: What is the main thing you've learned from this campaign? In the election campaign? Yeah. um <sighs> oh god I haven't that I'm very tired. tired canvassing is hard
2: I was saying earlier on it's a little bit like childbirth um, I well not that I've ever given birth but uh, you're, apparently it's so hard you forget about it every time that I'll vote for anybody <laughs> uh, that I'll vote for anybody who won't have you do a winter election I think that change is possible and, and, and I think that it's more fluid than you would think and I, I've learned that over the course of you know I've been involved in politics quite a long time as an activist, well long before I was elected. And um sometimes your ideas of what's possible and impossible can become very stuck. Um and I and I think this election can kinda of tell you that, that that sometimes things that you think are impossible aren't necessarily impossible. Um, but I would caution that to, to people that the world isn't perfect, you know? And you know 12 issues of, you know, somebody agreeing with you exactly on these things, it it doesn't lead to good debate or good policy making Mm. and politics is about a process as opposed to one snapshot of an election or referendum Mm. or anything and you have to keep at it and you sometimes fail but then that might make the the eventual outcome be better than otherwise so so I think that, yeah, that's a change is more possible than I would have thought
1: Um, Um, Go on, Andrea why would you like to work why do you like working in politics I always think mm. it's such a thankless hard job that you're under scrutiny all the time you lose your autonomy and it's not very well paid and comparatively to the amount of work you have to do Um,
2: because you can get stuff done mm. uh, like and sometimes it's fun getting the stuff done I could say this on your podcast actually because I'm sure people who listen to it appreciate it um, like I'm having loads of fun with the, um, the, the rollout of sanitary provision at the moment um, because uh, you've just you've old style um, you know officials in the city council like you wouldn't be like now are we going to get different flows and, uh, <laughs> and I, I'm having great fun doing do that but you can do things it just it, it takes time and you have to stick with it but if you're consistent you can do things and you can make a difference and sometimes you can go and look around and you say okay well I was able to do that. Yeah. One of the proudest things I have right is uh, I I got a bin beside a park and it took me about two years <laughs> maybe a little bit longer but I swear to God every time I walk past that bin I swell with pride and it doesn't seem like it's the biggest thing in the world but it does make a difference like one bin you can I
1: get so a so recycling one beside
0: can. it <laughs> <laughs> another five years <laughs> that'll take and this is genuinely the last question I'm going to do my Colombo just one more thing um, it, I was interested to see how you tweeted kind of a very complimentary thing about oh no brain about, uh, about his housing policy and that I can't I'm paraphrasing now but yeah. that you would be delighted would be, you know, now housing. Com- uh, with working him as a housing minister and um, that was the little breaking rank maybe with the, with your party and with um, your party leader Brendan Howland um, but I was wondering what um, compelled you to, to say that. I mean Owen, is, uh, Owen has a lot of smart things to say on housing, we've had him on the podcast people know that he's uh, he knows his shit um, why did you decide to put your neck out like that?
2: Because w- well, I think first of all the polls, right? The dynamic of the polls and and them changing. We have a very similar housing policy. Like John O'Sullivan is great, and Owen is great, right? And they have worked very well together, um, particularly in the idea and a concept of cost rental. And I, I, I just think that you have to go... If you're looking at what is the biggest issue and challenge that's facing us today, housing is it? Um, and I think Owen has been exceptional um, in his analysis of it. Um, I also know him. Um, we share a very close mu- mutual friend. Um, and I've dipped into the book. I can't say I've read it in full. Um, <laughs> but, but, but Jay bought it from me for me from when it was launched. Um, so, I, like, I... I've worked with Sinn on the council and they can be you know, very good and easy to work with and I'd rather us be looking to the left than to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Now how the numbers flow, I don't know um, but I do think that we're beginning to see a breakdown of that and housing is the issue at least where there's some form of consensus emerging in between the disparate mm-hmm. groupings on the left where it was because we can be quite sectarian in how we give out to each other particularly you know we feel very vulnerable from the Labour Party in those, in those rooms but housing is where that consensus is coming um, and the need for not not just our current form of housing HAP provision social housing but actually expand to public housing because we're looking at the housing crisis hit hit all levels Um, I think that's where that consensus is emerging and even if it's just pulling around a single issue I think housing is the big challenge for us like we have a deficit of about 100,000 from the, from a time where we weren't building. And then CSO have estimated that we probably have to build 35,000 houses a year. We're not near meeting those targets. And then some of like where the, the, the makeup of the figures, such as half tenancies coming in and, and void council tenancies. But, but I, I think the concept of housing, and, and I know that both Owen and Jan have done a lot of work together around the concept of affordable and cost rental.
1: I always think when you hear, we need to build all these houses, we need 35,000 a year, we need blah, 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 it's like we have a lot of these houses that are going to Airbnb, that are going to multi-ownership, that are going to investment. Is there a way to get those houses back and empty, vacant houses as well? Is there a way to approach that to get them back on the market? It's
2: yeah but it's not enough we yeah. st- we, we still need <laughs> to build like we have a growing population and we had a period we've yeah, yeah. <laughs> we a growth but we also have um immigrants coming into the country yeah. which we need and yeah. we also have people returning again you know which we need so we do need to build as well and the big fall off has been in social housing yeah. um so yes that's part of it but it it, it, it won't it's be not the enough full thing. but does it, not- it and sometimes i think that Do you know what? when you hear people opposing housing for a particular reason in a particular area, they're all like, but there's loads of empty units or there's loads of this. And you're like, actually, there's not. We still need to do it. We have a huge, huge... But I feel
1: like it's like, as well as, as opposed to just...
2: Yeah, absolutely. But you're always going to have a certain amount of empty stock anyhow. So it's just money has been put into voids from a, from a city council, mm. that's social housing units um, but we still need to build Right, we have to have a consistent amount of houses being built so I, I, that needs to where the priority needs yeah. to go and cost rental I think is the way for us to go and doing that and developing a, a, a new way of doing and how, how we from a local authority perspective um, provide housing and use the land banks that are there and available to us.
0: Fab. Rebecca Moynan running as a candidate for the Labour Party in Dublin, South Central yeah. uh, Best of luck Thanks. and um, we'll see you on the flip side Yo staying close to home this week with our voters voice
1: because we just realized before we we didn't have one we didn't have one um so we are a very organized professional podcast thank you Mm. we are putting we're putting out
0: like three or four podcasts this week so it's been quite hectic also i'm sick Mm, feels sorry for me but our voters voice this week is our producer andrew mangan (laughs) because you know you're you're a man andrew What what do the men think what do the men think uh, no, but seriously, <laughs> um, what, um, we want to talk to you about, your, you always just like sit silently, probably seething as we uh, do this podcast and doing a uh, doing very no, well.
3: I laugh a lot. I, I think people can hear that I laugh in the background <laughs> okay. quite a lot. I enjoy it.
0: What constituency are you in?
3: Dublin South Central.
0: Ah, and um, what are you voting on? What issues are relevant to you?
3: I think the ones that, that concern me most are, are housing. Also, green issues, uh, even though I think the leader of the Green Party doesn't really do it for me, it would be fair to say. I, I really enjoy um, listening to Saoirse McHugh and talk of the guillotine and all those kind of things. I think it is time to really try something different and look for something different from politics um, and look for people who are prepared to to take a stand and make a change. Um, you look at the, the two main parties and it's like one pair of pants, one leg each, isn't it? You know? That's what they are. They're a leg of the same pants, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Farrah slacks, that's what they are. <laughs> you know, comfortable slacks in beige.
0: You're, one of the big communities that you're rooted in is, is football. Yeah. Um, now, th- that can be seen as very like lads, 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 mm-hmm. right? Which is totally cool. Uh, as you know I am
3: a football fan I know but unfortunately we have our issues there but you but know. I
0: was wondering like when you're in your WhatsApp groups and your Facebook groups or all of the like bajillions of people who listen to your Arsenal podcast and stuff what are those lads saying
3: I don't know it's really hard to, to generalise particularly as uh, most of my audience isn't really in Ireland yeah it's in the UK and it's in uh, America I think, uh, you know, from time to time, I I, 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 I try not to make it political. I try and give people somewhere to come that isn't necessarily a political place because Mm. there's so much of it going on everywhere. But I think just in general, my outlook on things kind of bleeds through. So... Uh, you know, if you want to call me a, a a lefty or whatever it might be, I would certainly be left leaning in terms of uh, in terms of my politics. And I think when people are aware of that and when people are, are um, they know that that's what you're about, you kind of attract like minded people to that. Um, uh, you know, I find it. Uh, at the moment very difficult to look at what's going on in in England and yeah. look at the way politics has gone there with with Brexit I was born in England you know to, to Irish parents who moved over there in in the 60s and uh, I lived there in the 70s and and everything else so You
1: were born that long ago? I was born
3: that <laughs> long ago yeah. I uh, don't believe it. Thanks Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> extra extra production for you this yes. week. Extra good production. So you know I find it I find it really sad and I I thought the whole thing of what happened happened with, with, you know, the Brexit parties that went on when when the UK uh, left the European Union the other night. I thought it was, like, horrible and upsetting. I know we can sort of look at it from a distance, but it's, you know, where I was born. I've got lots of friends there. My work is based out of there. Um, so I, I think the people that I talk to are, are fairly like-minded in that regard.
0: Do you think that there is a generational shift happening with regards to thinking in Ireland and I don't mean generations as in like the way the media categorise them like well the millennials want change you know it's actually more about people from who their ecosystem of either about to kind of come of age or in the middle of their 20s or 30s or whatever orientates around the crash Um, and and, and, and like if you were 30 um, when the crash happened Let's say, and you're like, oh, maybe I'll or just before the crash, you're like, oh, maybe I should like try and get on the property ladder in the next few years. And then the crash happens and you lose your job or whatever. And now you're forty and you're like, fuck, like I I can't buy a house again. Mm. And there does seem to be this cohort of people that's probably around a 20 year span whose the opportunities were really altered by that period of time. And also became more engaged in politics around marriage equality, repeal and this idea of, no, let's build Ireland as a progressive country and la la la. For me, it seems like the fruits of that kind of thinking is emerging now because like all the people that I know, straight, gay, male, female, young, old, coming from all different parts of the country, all different socio-economic backgrounds, there is this through line of like, Aspiration and progress, and let's try and fucking do something different. Yeah,
3: I I, I feel like incredibly sorry for people who are in their twenties and thirties who are trying to buy a house, and uh, you know it's it's obscene what uh, has happened to the rental market and, and even to the housing market itself. I mean, I I bought a house about three hours before the crash. Wow. Um, and it was really difficult really difficult time and it was uh, you know couldn't pay the mortgage and ended up in arrears and all that kind of stuff and and uh, had banks harassing me and all kinds of stuff like that so since then i have to say like i've been very much fuck the banks and fuck the government no, not fuck the government, but like, the, you know, these people put people in a really, really difficult position. My experience of it was was manageable, and I got out of it, and I was lucky to be able to get out of it and to work my way out of it. But the people who didn't and the people who couldn't and, and the, the behavior of the banks and these institutions, I think there's a there's uh, you don't think about banks until the bank is calling you three four times a week looking for you to pay back money and things mm. like that so it alters your perception it alters what what you think is fair and what you think is just because it's a case like you know if you didn't have the experience you'd say well you can take a mortgage if you can't pay your mortgage you lose your house that's the way that it goes but you know you've got to take into account uh, context and circumstances and i think it's great that people are um, you know young people in particular what what way are they going to get anything Unless they fight for it unless they sort of eschew the old politics and the old people who 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 basically are those institutions and who protected and and propped up those institutions so I, I think you're right the crash has had a huge impact on on Ireland its society and our willingness to look beyond the sort of the affiliation, like, you know, your dad was Finnegale, therefore you're Finnegale. Your family's Finnefall, therefore you're Finnefall. I don't know that that's necessarily as true as it was. I'm sure it still is, but I don't think it's quite as true as it used to be. Hence, we've got much more, um, greater variety in terms of the politicians that we have in the DAW. The, the next thing now is for them to be able to make an impact because they're a bit disparate, you know, in terms of independence and all those kind of things. So.
4: Mm.
0: Right on, Andrew. That was a fascinating insight. I really appreciate
3: it. Well, I'm glad I, you know, parachuted in at the last minute (laughs) because of your lack of preparation. It was was planned like
1: that. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. Andrea, what's getting in the sea? I think, after a lot of research on this, (laughs) that this week, Getting in the sea has got to go to Jack Chambers. Mm. I would have probably put him in the sea um, a long time ago. Um, he's always irked me, and thats I, I thats unfair to say, isn't it? If we're meant to be analysing politics, don't but personalise
0: like, it too much. <laughs> well, but he is he it personalising
1: it too much <laughs> if I say he reminds me of your man from Circle of Friends. Which guy from Circle of Friends? Who put all the money in the mattress from the family? <laughs> Stop. Is that personalizing? Kind of. I mean I Whoops. think it's fair to say Jack
0: Chambers um didn't want women to have reproductive rights. Um, then he goes on television and shouts at women. It's like everybody loves Claire Burns, so shout at her. I thought he was his his demeanor was appalling.
1: So yeah. But like do you know what it was to me? I felt like He's the last remnant of a traditional what a traditional politician looks like and uh, usually you would say youth on your side kind of modernises you. It's like he came out of the 1960s and was like, this is what a politician is and I'm part of the establishment and I am going to keep it like that and we're the politicians so don't you talk to us like that and that's what it felt like. Cool. <laughs> Jack. Au revoir, into the sea. Five bits this week. Oh my god! I had so many five bits this week, um, and I—it's only I forgot I did because I was in a whirlwind of political tweets. But amongst those political tweets, a, tw- a glorious tweet came at me, and it was the Fast and Furious 9 trailer. Oh, yeah. Did you watch it? No, I haven't watched it yet. Oh, sweet Christ above. It is so good. It's a return to form. Obviously, we got uh, hoodwinked with that Hobbs and Shaw crap that came (laughs) out um, (laughs) under the guise of uh, Fast and Furious, which was in absolute bits. Fast and Furious is not a comedy on purpose. It's a comedy as a side effect. Yeah. So, like when they tried to make it funny and the rock being a gas bitch and is Michelle
0: Rodriguez in this one
1: uh yeah amazing I think so oh my I can't confirm nor deny that (laughs) (laughs) well I'm looking forward to it when's it out sometime may is it look at your it's Mm. not that far away it's it's on the way my second fave bit was the Super Bowl halftime show. Surprise! J Lo, you can have half of this fave bit. Yes, yeah. J Lo,
0: um, like. Can I just interrupt to say that Fast and Furious is out in May? So
1: who's a bigger Fast and Furious fan now? <laughs> yeah, Google. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. You um, haven't even watched the trailer, so I've been busy. Grammar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What? Oh my God, Goss. So I watched the
0: Jennifer Lopez uh, and Shakira yeah. um, half-time show. Shakira was grand. Ah, she was good. Jennifer Lopez was fucking amazing. It's funny
1: you would say that. <laughs> That's so I, unlike I us. I know. Unbiased th- opinion from I'm, United Ireland on JLo today.
0: I know we've been missing our J-Lo segment <laughs> due to this stupid election, <laughs> but now we can get back to... Back to real business. Back to real business. <laughs> Arriving into the stadium... <laughs> In Miami, but with...
1: Welcome to Miami. But, Bienvenido a Miami. But with the...
0: the On the pole that was also the aerial that's on top of the Empire State Building. Mwah. Chef's kiss. Uh, also, chef's kiss to
1: all the people who are like, well, there should have been a warning. This was like somebody climbing a pole needs to have a warning. Would you cop the hell on? Also, a great reminder of what a banger
0: her version of Waiting for Tonight is. Oh, Green oh lasers God. all the way.
1: And also, uh, another reminder of the two different uh, ways we treat men and women. Adam Levine had his top off, and there was like cl- pearls being clutched all over the place of the uh, clothes they were wearing, etc. But sure, is there? He's that guy from Maroon 5. Yeah. Oh, I don't care about them. But it, like, he had his top off last year, not a word. J-Lo at 50, can I just add? Looking like, do you know that Blanche from the Golden Girls was 50 and that's how she was portrayed in media and now look at J-Lo as well. Like the difference of age between the past and now is just bananas. Do you know what I've just thought that I'd like? Hustlers, the TV show. Yeah, I'd also like to watch a rerun of Golden Girls. Oh, I thought you were going to (laughs) say another (laughs) film there for a second. As an aside (laughs) and the wallpaper from Blanche's bedroom. But Uh, anyway, we digress. Next on my list as I have a lot uh, is The Screen Ireland unveiled their slate of uh, upcoming films and documentaries. And one of those is called The Eighth, which follows the journey of the Queen of Campaigning, uh, Alva Smith, and some other glitter activist person um, on. (laughs) It's it's Andrea. Andrea's in a film. We're going to be rich. (laughs) Well, we won't be. Uh, You're in it as well. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few people in there now. Um, But very excited for that release. It's uh, coming down the line, Date TBC, but very excited to see it. Um, And the final thing I'm excited about is there was a a HIV positive man on first dates who was very open about his um, diagnosis. And it was just great to see it with such, um, just not like just being out there on television, breaking down the stigma um, and yeah, fair play to him. Amazing, my fave
0: bits this week.
1: <coughs> Sorry That I'm you s- robbed from me, I just want to take a bit of uh, ownership on these as well.
0: Okay, I didn't, well I did, <laughs> I robbed one of them. Um, I'm so sick, I really hope this gets better.
1: Well, hurry okay, up and okay, sorry. we can go home to bed okay um, so my favourite
0: bit this week is this is Pop Baby Eurovision Philly McMahon so Philly McMahon um, theatre director extraordinaire and Pop Baby show pony has been named the creative director of Ireland's Eurovision entry um, this is very exciting and um you know, anybody who's seen Riot or who's seen uh, Jenny and Philly's work, or who knows Philly's theatre work, or just the sentiment and the sense of fun that they imbue into their work, should be really excited about this. Um, hopefully, they'll be giving the Irish Eurovision entry a good bit of pizzazz and queer joy. If so
1: ever there was anything, this is Pop Baby were made for. It is the creation of our Eurovision entry. I am sweating so f- yes it's I'm good. going to it
0: oh, amazing let's all go <laughs> my other favourite bit is uh, Medea at the gate um, opening, night night. <laughs> opening night on Tuesday night. it's opening night and Tuesday night the fact that it's on that it's a uh, female um, director Una Murphy a female assistant director uh, Darren Cody and a cast of Young People so check that out um, we're going tonight yeah. Um, so yeah those are my five bits. Um, this podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan uh, at Castaway Media with support from Susie Bennett. Crystal Clear, who we bumped into this morning on South William Street, <laughs> gave us his tuna chicken roll for a soundtrack.
1: Nothing like community,
0: is there? <laughs> Sarah Fox did all our design. You can find links to all our socials on our website, unitedirelandpodcast.com. If you enjoy listening, help us. Fuck, we forgot the Patreon show again. <laughs> oh my God, this is ridiculous.
1: Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash unitedireland. Actually, can I change the narrative around our Patreon? Go on. Instead of saying, please support us, we're not asking for your support. Maybe think about buying some content off us.
0: Oh, yeah. Buy some of these podcasts. Okay, that's good. Maybe that'll help. Um, (laughs)
1: What's the tuna chicken roll this week? Uh, The tuna chicken roll is a nod. I was having a little linger back in my early raving days of backlash and thinking of when Jack Lacan played in the tiny (laughs) basement of Wax Um, and he whacked out some of Madonna's songs before they were released but Mm. that is not the one I'm talking about today I am talking about Jack LaConne's remix of Avalon by Juliet it is a classic but it is one of the very best tuna chicken rolls she's been Una Mullally I've been Andrea Horan
0: this has been United Ireland and that was Election Special Part 4 A Vision for Cities Bonus Pods coming through soon